0: If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we come before you this morning, and we ask that you would do what you've promised, and that, that is be with us, that wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you say you are present. So we pray that your Spirit would be at work through your word. And that you would cause the grace and the goodness and the truth and the justice and the beauty and the glory of Jesus to land in our hearts. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, so uh, we are now six weeks into our series on the book of Revelation. And uh, as one of my favorite authors and pastors put it, Revelation is the one book in which the distinction between the forest and the trees ...is the greatest. It's, it's so easy to get lost in the details. Lost in the forest by obsessing over each tree. And the reason why it's easy to do that is because... ...Revelation is full of wild imagery. Uh, there's a lion who is also a lamb. There's seals and trumpets and bowls. There's dragons and beasts and monsters coming out of the sea. There's hidden manna and a white stone... ...that we've seen as we've uh, been looking over the past few weeks... And we even have a very weird phrase uh, that shows up at the beginning of our passage. Jesus introduces himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God. Does that mean there's seven Holy Spirits? No. Seven spirits of God is actually used in chapter 1, verse 4 in the introduction, as well as a little later in chapter 4, verse 5, and chapter 5, verse 6, to refer to the Holy Spirit. There's not seven Holy Spirits. It's just a way of saying the real Holy Spirit in all his fullness. The Spirit who can breathe on dry bones and make them live, as the prophet Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 37. And we're going to see the relevance of this kind of introduction that Jesus gives to himself when we unpack what's wrong with the church in Sardis. But it's easy to get lost in these trees, isn't it? It's easy to lose your way in the forest. And that's why we have tried to build a framework for reading the book of of Revelation so that we can find our way through this forest. And so if you haven't been with us, uh, this is just a, a, a quick overview. Revelation is apocalyptic literature, which means it's full of imagery and symbols that are designed to grab hold of your attention. And what is happening is you're having behind-the-scenes footage of the universe unveiled about both the future and the present. And Revelation is written to a beleaguered and battered community. And it's intended to help them endure. But it is for all of God's people throughout history to help us endure. And the main message of the book of Revelation is actually quite simple to get. And it's, it's summarized in two words. Jesus wins. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Now, we've been, we've been hanging out in chapters 2 and now 3 uh, for a few weeks. And we're going we're gonna, to you know, continue on in the next couple of weeks to finish up chapter 3 before we pick up pace and uh, go through the rest of the book. But the reason we're hanging out here is because in chapters 2 and 3, we have seven messages From Jesus to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And as we pointed out, the number seven is the number of fullness or completion. So that means these are messages for all the churches all the time. And that Jesus starts here in this great book is important for two reasons. The first is, you know, the church... Its first instinct is always point to point its fingers at, at the outside world as the source of all our problems. And Jesus says, how about we start with you? And the second reason it's important is because the church is always tempted to think that suffering is our greatest danger. And Jesus says, actually, it's sin. Sin can ruin you in ways that suffering never can. And in each of the seven messages, Jesus is speaking to people who are going to need to rise to the occasion, who are going to need to be ready for the challenges. And more often than not, that means making some drastic changes and turnabouts in their lives, which is why these messages can get so uncomfortable. You see, Revelation is meant to give us a magnificent picture of the glorious and exalted Christ. Seeing Him is how you and I are gonna endure, but all too often, something gets in the way of us seeing Him. Other things grab hold of our hearts. The church is supposed to be light in the dark world. A lampstand is how it's been described. And not by holding up ourselves, but by holding up Jesus. We're lampstands, we're not the lamp. Really, really important distinction. And in almost every church that Jesus addresses in these seven messages, uh, they were in danger of the light going out. In Ephesus, it was because of lovelessness. That has a nice sound to it, doesn't it? In Pergamum, it was because they weren't holding fast to the truth. In Thyatira, it was because of lack of holiness. And this morning, we come to Jesus' message to the church in Sardis. Now, this is one of the shortest of the seven messages that Jesus gives to the church, but it's also the most severe. And so we have to ask what was wrong with the church in Sardis? And this is the first thing I want to talk about this morning. In Sardis, there was a mismatch between reputation and reality. Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You're dead. Literally, it says you have a name of being life, but you're actually dead. The church at Sardis thought it was alive, and so did everyone else. But Jesus says, dead, dead, dead you are. They weren't short on money. They weren't short on talent. They weren't housing heretics in their midst, but still, you're dead. Jesus says, you're a spiritual graveyard. And those are powerful words for a city, a church in a city like Sardis, because Sardis was actually known for its necropolis, this giant cemetery. I think Jesus is using these words because he wants to get their attention. And guess what? He wants to get... Our attention to Now, why would would people think that the church at Sardis was so alive? Well, it looks like they were very active. Jesus says, I know your works. He's referring to what's going on in this community. And it seems like there's a lot going on. Perhaps they had great programs. They had great studies. They had wonderful services. They had all the right committee meetings. There was great planning and strategizing. And, get this, there was sound doctrine. Because unlike other messages that we've seen Jesus addressing to the churches, there's no mention of any particular false teachers in the church in Sardis. No no named false teachers. So they had this great reputation. And great reputations are pretty great, right? But it is possible to have a reputation that doesn't line up with the reality of who we are. And the reality is there was spiritual deadness in the church. Their reputation was who they were in the eyes of others. But Jesus says, the reality is who you are in the sight of my God. Last part of verse 2. Now, this is really important. This distinction between reputation and reality is vital. We should not value too highly what other people think of us. We we all know the trap of that, right? It leads to great pride when we're flattered and praised, and it leads to devastation when we're criticized. But more importantly, it actually keeps us from knowing the truth about ourselves, which can only be discovered when we see ourselves as we are in the sight of God. So ask yourself this question. How much of your life is consumed with seeking human approval? How much, is, how much of my life is consumed with that? And you know what the answer is? Way too much. Way too much. And you know what? This, this leads to a, a kind of hypocrisy in our lives. And by the way, if you're not yet a Christian, I know that uh, hypocrites in the church is a real turnoff to you. And I just want you to know it was a turnoff to Jesus too. Jesus says, Sardis, on the outside, you look great. But on the inside, you're dead. Now let me, let me break this down in, in, in two ways that I think can help us understand what Jesus is, is getting at here. See, uh, some churches will say, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're trying to help people. And that's a very popular view. Like people clap. Yeah, yeah, that sounds appealing. It sounds very open-minded. And by the way, TikTok and YouTube love this, right? It's all over the place. doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're trying to help people. But this is exactly what Jesus is condemning here. An inner life that does not match your outward deeds. Jesus is saying, I want you to know me. I want you to enjoy my love. I want you to experience my grace and mercy. I want you to have your life changed by me on the outside and the inside. And here's the funny thing that the the late Tim Keller was so fond of pointing out over and over again. It's that churches that say, we don't know what we believe and we don't try to tell others what to believe. We're just here to help the poor aren't actually the churches the poor go to. Have you ever noticed that? The poor don't go to churches like that. The poor go to churches that have a deep and rich experience of Jesus. That's that's where they go because that's where help is found. This kind of thinking doesn't actually help people. You're not being a lampstand. You're trying to be a lamp and it doesn't help. And here's the other thing. Not only does it not help... It doesn't last. All the energy eventually leaks out. Now, uh, I had a a crazy thing happen in the last couple of weeks. And that is I discovered a bolt, like this big, in my front left tire. That long. I have no idea how that got in my tire. But here's the thing. We all know that like a bolt or a nail going into your tire can cause a leak. But, you know, you can drive for a while on those tires because it's almost like you stay in motion and it keeps it artificially inflated. But when you let that thing sit in the driveway, like it, the air just begins to leak out and you got major problems. If you don't have an inner life that fuels your deeds, you will lose your vigor. You won't be able to keep it up. Without an inner life of connection to Jesus, your deeds won't help. You'll end up making yourself the focus. And your deeds won't last. You'll run out of air. And Jesus says, Sardis and Grace Presbyterian Church, does your reputation match reality? Or have you lost the inner reality that makes all this work? That's the first thing. But but this is the second thing. The way to renewal is through repentance. Starting in verse 2, Jesus gives five quick commands that culminate in the word repent. Why single out the word repent? Well, here's why. Because it shows up in five of the seven messages that Jesus gives to the churches. That's a way of saying, hey, listen up. This is kind of important. Repentance really matters. And we have a hard time with this because we, we hear repentance as a harsh word. But it's actually a very sweet word. And you want to know why? Because repentance is the way Jesus' love and power will explode into your life. Repentance is the way that you keep and you renew your inner reality. Now here's the five commands. Or the four commands that lead up to the word repent. Repent. Jesus says, wake up, strengthen, remember, keep, repent. And I think it's helpful to see the first four commands as feeding into and filling out what it looks like to repent. Now I want you to notice, Jesus changes metaphors from verse one to verse two. He changes metaphors from death to sleep. And I I can't help but think of Miracle Max. And the princess bride, mostly dead, right? That's it. He walks it back a bit, right? He's, he's got our attention, right? He's, he's grabbed hold of our hearts. And he says, wake up. You're sleepwalking through life. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Awaken to your condition. This, this isn't wake up and smell the roses. This is wake up and smell the decay." There is spiritual rot spreading, and you're falling asleep. Wake up. And if we want to understand the kind of spiritual rot that was spreading in Sardis, I think it's actually helpful to cheat a little bit and look down at verses 4 and 5. Jesus speaks of some exceptions in this church. Those who haven't soiled their garments. Love that imagery. Uh, That that was a popular way of talking about the defilement that comes from sin. Jesus is talking about compromise with the world. Compromise with the world's values. And it it begins to defile and it begins to corrupt. And then if you look at verse 5, when Jesus starts dropping dimes of promises on those who have remained faithful, he says... I'm going to confess your name before my father. Does that remind you of anything? In the Gospels, Jesus said, If you confess my name before people, I will confess your name before my father. You know what Jesus is talking about here? He's talking about faithful witness to the world. So if you turn that inside out and look at, back at what Jesus is, is addressing the church at Sardis for, he's speaking to a community that had lost its spiritual vigor, over-accommodated to the culture around it, blending in, not being salt and light, not functioning as a lampstand, not in word, not in deed, not with their lips, not with their lives. Instead of exalting the name of Jesus, Sardis had been a church that was making a name for itself. Jesus says... Wake up! Wake up! Strengthen what remains. You know, th- th- this particular phrase I think would have would have landed and found purchase uh, with those in Sardis uh, f- for a very particular reasons. Sardis was a, was a city that thought it thought of itself as impregnable because it sat on top of hills, really hard to attack. But two times in its history. It had been uh, taken over and captured once by Cyrus, like the 540s B.C., another time by Antiochus the Great in 218 B.C. And both times it involved some sneakiness. They weren't being watchful and they got taken by surprise. You're never more in danger than when you're comfortable and at ease. Jesus says, wake up, on guard, be watchful, strengthen what remains. Now, how how do you do that? How how do we do this? How do we take these words uh, to heart? And I think that's where the next two commands actually begin to fill this out. We do this as we remember and keep. Remembering is the shortest, shortest path to repentance. Remember what you have received and heard. What have we heard? It's the gospel. The good news of God's forgiveness and love given to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what have we received? The Holy Spirit. The one who breathes life. The one who makes alive. In fact, uh, the word received is so often connected in the New Testament with reception of the Holy Spirit. When people believe the Holy Spirit invades their lives and churches are supposed to be sanctuaries of the Holy Spirit. You see, the mark of a real Christian is someone who is always going back to the basics. To the gospel of forgiveness of sins and newness of life in the Holy Spirit. It is the only way to renew your inner reality. And what Jesus says is, keep it. Hold on to this. Don't ever let go. Make it the center of your life, the source of all your meaning and significance. You know, This, by the way, I think is what Paul means when he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians chapter 5. We're in Galatians 5. Keep in step with the Spirit. What, 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 what do those phrases mean? It, it means the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is the center and the source of all energy and all change and all life. And you know what the Holy Spirit is always doing? Pointing us to Jesus. That's what we're doing here every Sunday, by the way. It's what we should be doing in all our Bible studies, in all our prayer, in all our praying, and everything always is keeping the gospel front and center and experiencing the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. Remember and keep it. And this fundamentally changes the way we understand what repentance is, doesn't it? Yes, repentance is turning away from sin and evil. But that's actually not enough. And that won't bring lasting change in your life. Repentance is a turning towards something. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes you hear people say like, Oh man, if you, you talk a lot about repentance, if you talk about repentance too much, it becomes psychologically unhealthy. You ever feel that? Yeah, I, I do Sometimes. But that's a misunderstanding of repentance. And by the way, have you ever noticed that the most psychologically unhealthy people in the world are people who live in denial? One kind is a narcissist. Not psychologically healthy. The other kind is a blame shifter. It's never their fault. There's always someone else to point the finger at. But you know what repentance does? It's a third way. It's I own what is mine but I own it in the presence of someone who can forgive me and change me. That's repentance. Wake up, strengthen what remains, remember and keep. You see, repentance isn't here to make us feel bad about ourselves. It actually leads us to life and it leads us to hope and to joy. Our problem is not that we're failing to think great thoughts about ourselves. Our problem is, Is we have too small a view of Jesus. And we make light of his love. When we repent. The love and power of Jesus explodes into our life. When we repent. We experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has some incredibly encouraging words. For repenters. At the end of this message. He starts dropping some promises. Start making some grand claims. He says to those who will wake up and strengthen what remains and remember and keep. Repent. They're going to walk in white garments. Not soiled garments, but white garments. And a little later in the book of Revelation in chapter 7, verse 14, we get get a description of how those garments are made white. You know how they're, they're made white? By being washed In the blood of the Lamb. That means no matter who you are. No matter what you have done. No matter what you've been doing. You can experience a cleansing. A forgiving. A washing. That will make you new. And even later in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 19 verse 8. We also get an image of white garments. As referring to the righteous deeds of the saints, which are given for them to wear. In other words, God doesn't just cleanse you and forgive you. He actually enables you by the power of the Spirit to begin to live a totally different life. And Jesus says, you will walk in white garments. And you will live and dwell with me in those for forever. And not just that, he says... I'm going to give you an indelible name. God has a register in heaven, a great book, and the names of his people are enrolled in it. And guess what Jesus says? No one can erase your name. God won't let that happen. He won't do it. He won't let anyone else do it. And how beautiful Jesus has crafted this message for a people who had a name that didn't match reality and he's calling them to repentance. He says, you've been trying to make a name for yourself In the eyes of others. But I want to give you a name. In God's book of life. That's what Jesus. Offers to his people. So let me end with this. The Christian life. Is a life of repentance. That's what Martin Luther said. When he nailed his 95 theses. To the Wittenberg door. All of life is repentance. Repentance isn't just the way into the Christian life. It is the way on, over and over again, waking up, strengthening what remains by remembering and keeping the gospel front and center. Repentance isn't the way you earn God's approval. Jason did a great job in talking about this in Confession of Sin this morning. It is a way you experience his favor and his love and his grace again and again and again. And you know what it does? It fills you up with an inner reality it becomes a fountain for a whole different kind of life. You begin to live for a story bigger than yourself. You know, I saw an internet meme this week that I thought was um, was funny. And uh, it said this. Do y'all remember before the internet that people thought the cause of stupidity was the lack of access to information? <laughs> yeah, that wasn't it. <laughs> Our problem isn't simply a lack of information or education. Our problem is our hearts. And the only way to change our hearts is by the power of the spirit working through the message of the gospel. Remembering what we have heard and received. We do it every Sunday. Bringing our hearts into God's presence. Reminding ourselves of who he is and what he has done for us. Wake up. Strengthen, remember, keep, repent, stop dabbling in Christianity, get all the way in. Churches are supposed to be light in a dark world. Not by holding up themselves, not by building a great empire and making a name that people recognize, but by holding up Jesus. How can we do that if we are not drawing deeply upon his life? If we don't have an inner reality that fuels our lives as God's people. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Jesus, you're good to us. You're good to us in speaking honestly and with conviction by your Spirit into the depths of our souls. And you do that because you want to forgive and you want to heal and you want to make new. So would you give us ears to hear what you were saying? Would you give us hearts to believe and receive it? Would you give us the strength of the Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life? Whether that's for the first time ever or that's for the millionth time. Would you have your way with us? That we might be what you've intended us to be. And that is a lampstand holding up the lamp. Which is you, the light of the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.